Chapter 4 In a perfect universe of Spock's creation, the trip to Earth from Vulcan would have taken twenty minutes, and the Antares, Grayling, and Sumner would have already returned from Tarsus Four to Earth, and Jim would have been released and would be sitting in the hospital lobby waiting for Spock to collect him. Well, no. In a perfect universe, Winona Kirk would still be alive, Jim would still live in San Francisco, and Spock's parents would not have had a joint panic attack about Spock's indeterminate racial identity and bad taste in friends and moved back to another planet. In a slightly more perfect universe than the one he presently inhabited, everything would happen in a couple of seconds, and there would be a happy reunion, and Spock would not have the stone in his gut. It was not a perfect world, and so Spock received a message from Jim instructing him not to come to Earth, that Jim was fine, would be in touch. Spock stared at the message, ignored it, and got on the shuttle. This is one of the experimental ones, Spock observed neutrally. Cybok grinned. Yeah, maybe we'll blow up, he said cheerfully, and Spock did not hit him, but that was a very near thing. A normal cruiser would have taken roughly a week to arrive at Earth from Vulcan. It took the cruiser two days, which were still two full days with only Cybok's company. It's really not so bad, Jim sent. Indeed. Pissed? I can't imagine why that would be the case. I'm fine. Fine has variable definitions. Fine. Adverb. If you are at the hospital, I'm going to punch you in the face. Spock lifted an eyebrow. I will look forward to it. Azulafaga. What? Cybok asked as he entered Spock's room aboard the cruiser. He is being an ass. I'm shocked, Cybok said, and Spock lifted an eyebrow at him. Indeed. Brooding is bad for little Vulcanettes, Cybok told him, patting Spock's head. Spock glared at him. That is not a word. I just used it, though. Spock elected not to answer, instead stretching out on the bed and closing his eyes. Jim was listed as a passenger on the Antares, which was Christopher Pike's ship. Christopher Pike had served with the Kirks on the Kelvin. He had written a dissertation about the incident, in which both Kirks were mentioned fondly, and in which Jim was included as a living metaphor for hope. Jim would be well cared for, perhaps even favored and shown preferential treatment. He'll be fine, Cybok murmured, reaching for Spock's hand and squeezing gently. I sincerely doubt it, Spock disagreed. To be fine currently would imply that he was fine to begin with. You know, Cybok said thoughtfully, you don't actually sell him. No. Spock agreed. I can't wait to meet him, Cybok decided. There were eleven days between the day Spock arrived and the anticipated arrival date of the Antares. Spock had given Jim his word he would not be at the hospital, but that was only because Spock had no intention of departing Earth's space dock. There were housing quarters for those who wanted a particular thrill and were willing to pay through the nose for it. Spock was the son of the ambassador to Earth from Vulcan, and his mother had developed the universal translator. Spock, unlike Cybok, was not above using his status to get what he wanted, and he quickly found that certain accommodations were quickly made for Spock, son of Sarek. Mom would be so ashamed of you, Cybok hissed at him, staring at the suite. Are you going to tell her? Spock inquired, and Cybok glared at him and then sighed. No, he muttered resentfully and went to soak his resentments in bubble bath. Spock settled in and called his mother, assuring her that he was fine. He was with Cybok, and he was going to stay at the space dock. Yes, it had been cleared. No, he wasn't going to be underfoot. 
His father was a little harder to sell, only because Sarek, no doubt, had heard about his sons being honored guests. It is important, Spock had said, and his father had not replied. Spock never quite knew if Sarek's silences were agreements or damnations. Most of his time was spent messaging Jim, who must have been in medbay and bored, because they would stop abruptly for a few hours before starting back up again. It was rather unexpected when he received a terse communication from Captain Pike's first officer. Mr. Spock, Captain wishes to inform you that NCC-501, docking ESD-001-202, XO-1. Spock stared at it. NCC-501 was the Antares registry identification, and ESD-001 was the Earth space dock. 202 must be the port. It took him two days to figure out which receiving bay it was, and two days further to gain, relatively, authorized entry to it. Dad says you've got the makings of an excellent politician, Cybok informed Spock as they walked into the room. He had gone to Earth for a few days to see their father. Spock, who was playing a word game with Jim, who cheated, hummed and lifted an eyebrow. I think he means the Terran kind, Cybok says, meaning you're kind of a sneaky bastard. Yes, Spock agreed. I can be. Cybok laughed, sitting on the bed. Embracing your humanity, then? It seems illogical not to, Spock allowed, and then looked down at the pad. He is beating me, he realized, a little sadly. 3D chess was far more Spock's speed. It was a logical game. He would even condescend to play 2D chess. He did not approve of Scrabble. It provided Jim with more opportunities to cheat. Spock was certain of it. How did you two even meet? Cybok asked. I never heard the story. Just that you had a friend that Mom was worried about, and you ran away a couple of times. He bullied me into playing a game with him, Spock said, and then had a temper tantrum and walked away. Sounds like a real charmer, Cybok said, obvious sarcasm thick in his voice. And Spock put the pad aside and pulled his covers up to his chin, settling down into the bed. He is, he said simply and Cybok shifted almost uncomfortably before sliding into his own bed. Spock felt almost bad that he could not explain Jim better, but he was aware that every time he attempted to explain, he ended up making Jim sound bad. He had tried it in Standard, and English, and in Vulcan, but he could not find the correct words. He could not find the word they could accept. He had a feeling that his mother would be very displeased if he told her Jim was the Hyla. Bay 202 was on the Starfleet side of the space dock, and required clearance and was off-limits to Preston civilians. By the time Spock got there, it was already full of admirals and officers, doctors and nurses with medkits, reading pads. There was a quiet tension while they waited for the orderly disembarkment of the Ontario's crew and passengers. Jim was not in the first wave, which Spock supposed was a promising sign. The truly damaged were the first to come off efficiently transferred into the hands of the medics who would stay with them on the trip to Starfleet Medical Center. When he did come out of the corridor, he was seemed small and frail and very alone, and when he crossed the threshold, he scanned the room immediately. He was so obviously looking for someone that Spock felt perfectly justified in raising a single smug eyebrow. Don't come, indeed. Spock pushed off the wall where he had tucked himself unobtrusively and walked towards him, ignoring the Starfleet and medical personnel, meeting Jim somewhere at the edge of it, and Jim only stopped when he had crashed into Spock. "'You're such an asshole,' Jim muttered, leaning into Spock's shoulder, one of his hands fisting in Spock's robes, and the other anchoring around his waist. Spock wrapped his arms around Jim and held on, and felt completely justified in ignoring him when Jim continued, 
told you not to come. There is a Terran saying about pots and kettles that springs to mind at this very juncture, Spock informed him, and Jim huffed a laugh into Spock's neck. Spock held on a little tighter. He was here, and he was safe, and possibly until that very moment, Spock had not believed it. I'm obviously fine, Jim said. I don't know what you're talking about. Why do you insist on lying to me? Spock asked, and Jim laughed again, a little rusty. It's fun. Oh yes, very amusing. Just because you don't laugh doesn't mean it's not funny, Jim told him, pulling back enough to fix Spock with a severe look. But I said fun, not funny. You are deeply twisted, Spock told him, and choosing an interesting time to become pedantic. My timing rocks like a rocking thing. You are exhausted. That is the only reason that that is getting a pass, Spock informed him flatly, and Jim laughed and held on tighter. God, I fucking missed you, he said. You would have fixed it. You did admirably without me, Spock told him, and Jim hummed. Never really do, he mumbled, and Spock looked down at the too long dishwater hair, wondering what that meant exactly, and what he was supposed to do with it. He elected to remain silent, and backed up until he hit a couch, settling down with Jim half-sprawled against him. He shifted, head in Spock's lap, and Spock lay a hand on Jim's chest, over his heart, and carted the fingers of his other hand through Jim's hair, nudging him towards sleep. Jim reached over and gripped Spock's wrist tightly, but his breathing deepened and evened out, and Spock watched the docking and unloading process, keeping vigil as Jim slept. Jim woke sporadically, tried to get up twice, and Spock just pressed him down, pushing Jim back into sleep and slipping into the storm of Jim's trauma to create a calm in the center of it. It was easier each time, which maybe ought to have concerned Spock, but he just held on tighter and tried to sift through it, the flashing images bathed in terror and blood and rage, an all-consuming blinding hate. He tried to organize it and tuck it away in ways that were logical, easily dealt with. He was not conscious of time passing, and startled badly when someone cleared his throat very close to him. Spock looked up, and Christopher Pike looked down at him. "'So you're him,' Pike said mildly. "'That statement did not provide me with sufficient data, so I can neither confirm nor deny.' Spock told him, stroking his thumb along Jim's neck when he shifted restlessly. Jim's friend, you're the one who got us there. That assigns me more credit than I am comfortable accepting, Spock told him, and Pike laughed, scrubbing a hand over his face. Okay, Spock, he said. Well, I just wanted to thank you. For my part, you are welcome, Spock said, trying not to say thanks is illogical, because generally he did not believe it to be true. The verbal expression of gratitude was a fundamental part of most cultures. The emotional sentiment behind it might be uncomfortable to Vulcans, but it was not illogical. "'Excuse me, Captain, but Dr. Boyd says that Mr. Kirk needs to go down to SFMC now,' a nurse interrupted him. "'Yeah, okay, Mr. Spock is going to go with him,' Pike told her, and she shrugged amicably. "'Fuck that, I'm not going,' Jim muttered, and Spock lifted his eyebrow down at him. Jim's hand batted in Spock's general direction. Put that down, he said without even opening his eyes. Captain, Admiral Comac is in the briefing room, a dark-haired woman in command, Gold said. Joy and rapture, Pike exhaled. Can't you? I'm sure the next words out of your mouth were not to suggest I go and speak to the Admiral, the woman said mildly, unless, of course, you were interested in mutiny. You are a terrible first officer. Pike informed her, before glancing at Spock and Jim. I'll be down to the hospital soon. 
I just have to go talk to Comac. The captain seems fond of you, Spock observed, and Jim groaned as he stretched, moving as though he ached. Transference, Jim dismissed. Ugh, okay, let's get this over with. Spock was not certain one could simply get a visit to the hospital over with, but he tactfully refrained from saying so. Dr. Boyd, the Antares CMO, was an older, no-nonsense Terran. He brusquely dismissed the idea that he should relinquish Jim's care to someone else, and at first Spock thought that this was yet another facet of Chris Pike's influence, but when the boards lit up with Jim's allergies, Spock revisited that. "'You're Spock, huh?' Boyd said, and Spock nodded, carefully tucking himself into a corner of the room where he was still within Jim's line of sight. "'I am,' Spock confirmed. Boyd made a few noises as he checked Jim's vitals, made a few notes in his chart. "'Am I gonna live?' Jim asked, as sullen as he could manage. Spock looked at him, and Jim shifted. "'In spite of your best efforts, yeah, probably,' Boyd told him, ruffling his hair. "'Should be fine.' "'Joy,' Jim told him. And Boyd smacked him lightly upside the head, and then left them alone. "'I like him,' Jim told Spock, who stared at him and then sighed, pulling the chair in the corner by the window over to the side of Jim's bed. "'He seems able to tolerate you,' Spock acknowledged. "'Weren't we fighting?' Jim asked, and Spock glanced at the IV, wondering what they were giving Jim. "'No,' Spock told him. "'Go to sleep.' Jim did, which was undoubtedly due to the medication, and not a spontaneous manifestation of telepathic control on Spock's part. Spock stayed by the bedside, shifting only when the nurses came in to check on Jim who endured it all with a kind of ill grace mixed with bizarre stoicism that seemed to endear him to everyone. Spock was not an idiot, and so braced himself for whatever tantrum was brewing under Jim's skin. Around midnight, an ensign brought in a bag that had Kirk written in standard-issue Starfleet block letters, and Spock puzzled over that until he saw that the inside seam was written Kirk W., not Jim's then, but Winona's. Inside was a filthy pad, a canteen of water, a slingshot, and a phaser. Some clothes, not all Jim's. There was a little girl's t-shirt and a couple pair of pants that were far too big for Jim, a sports bra, and several tube socks. There was a small first aid kit that was mostly empty and a calm. Spock set them all aside, carefully trying to piece together a story, but the data was insufficient. Jim would tell him, and so Spock repacked everything except the pad, which he turned on to figure out how Jim circumvented the ionic cloud. Jim startled awake at 0200, tensing and breathing too carefully, just his eyes moving as he took in the room, clearly trying to place himself. Jim, Spock said softly, and reached out to take Jim's hand. He could feel Jim shattering in a thousand directions, held together by rage alone. Spock held on and used the call button to summon the night nurse, who administered another round of sedatives quietly, navigating the space around Jim carefully. Spock held on until they kicked in, and Jim relaxed, the sharp edges of Jim's mind softening and blurring. Spock sat back and looked back at the incomprehension that was Jim's pad, rubbing his burning eyes and shifting slightly in the vastly uncomfortable chair. Jim had not subverted the ionic cloud in any way. Spock supposed they would have realized that if they had been paying any attention, and while he could excuse himself in Ston, he had difficulty excusing the fact that Tepring missed it. I, you were able to send me things, though, Jim said refusing to eat his breakfast as Spock marveled over the simplicity of his solution. I mean, if it had been the field, I might have been able to send you stuff, but you wouldn't have been able to send me things in real time. 
I just used the Starfleet channel, because it has automatic data push, so you'd get it near instantly and I'd get it near instantly, and any kind of data blips would be ignored by Kodos because, well, they looked like data blips. With the ionic interference and his proxy blockers, I mean, it would have been pretty far-fetched of him to think anyone was going to be hacking it. Plus, apparently, it was a thing that no one was supposed to bring a pad, or they got, like, lost in travel, Jim said around a yawn. He shrugged a shoulder, then leaned forward, pushing the breakfast away. Spock could not blame him. The eggs looked like plastic playthings one saw in shops. What are you doing? I am telling to Pring, Spock said, because she did not figure that out, and she is meant to be a genius. So are you, Jim pointed out. Not like she is, Spock said, and had to smirk when Stan replied. This is amazing. She is actually speechless with rage and disgust. Someday I will introduce them. My only request is that I be present. What? Jim asked, and Spock looked up. I found friends on Vulcan, after a fashion, he admitted, and it felt like a kind of betrayal. Qualify that a little more, Jim suggested, and Spock shrugged. It is nice to have allies on Vulcan, he said, but I think you and T'Pring would not get along. I get along with everyone, Jim informed him. I suppose that is why my bank account is frequently laid low by the lawyer I have on retainer, Spock mused, and Jim smacked him. Asshole. Jim did not seem at all offended that Spock had friends, and instead grilled him on life on Vulcan. Spock recognized it as a diversionary tactic, but if Jim wanted to ignore what had happened for a little while, until he was somewhere private, Spock could not fault him for that. By the second day, Boyd had decided Jim was capable of leaving, and Spock was struck with the realization that Frank Halley was not going to come. Is the captain available for lunch? Spock sent to number one. 1305, Milk Cafeteria, she responded, and Spock wondered how angry Jim was going to be about this, on the scale of decimated toy soldiers to driving a car off a cliff. He suspected this was going to be car territory. Captain Pike looked exhausted, but he stood when Spock arrived and sat only after Spock sat. What's up? Pike inquired. Frank Howley is not coming for Jim, Spock said, and I cannot take him to Vulcan. His brother is nowhere to be found, and you are his current legal guardian. Pike narrowed his eyes at Spock, drinking his coffee and apparently unaware that he was grimacing terribly. Spock stayed silent. My commission's not up for another four months, Pike told him, which perhaps did not mean to sound like a capitulation. You have been approached to teach at the academy, Spock pointed out. You have a home here in the city. Look, Spock, you are a friend of his parents. You have written about them extensively and I can think of no greater betrayal to their memories than to allow their son to be put into the nation's foster care system after enduring what happened on Tarsus Four. Pike stared at him, then exhaled on an explosive laugh and sat back in his chair hard. Wow. Spock sipped his frankly terrible tea and held Pike's gaze. All of the reports indicated that Pike had been feeling about for an earthbound position for the next few years, in light of the particularly turbulent last five-year mission he had been on. Pike clearly liked Jim, and was by all accounts a good man. This was logical, and more than that, if this failed, Spock did not know what else he was going to do. He had far more resources and influence than the average child of fourteen and a half, but Jim was still very much a minor, and obstinate for the hell of it. If you do not do this, they will put him with his stepfather, and he will run away, and we will never hear of him. He will be dead in two years, by every calculation I have made. 
Pike hunched forward, pressing the heels of his palms into his eye sockets and exhaling. Yeah, okay, kid, I get it. Will you do anything, is the more pressing question. Jesus Christ, never went to politics, Pike told him. And then, I'll make some calls. He is being released at 1600. I'll make some very fast calls, Pike amended, standing. But you get to tell him. Spock looked at him, then nodded. That seems fair. What? Jim demanded. He is offering you a home. What did you even do? Jim demanded, cheeks flushing, shoving himself up in the hospital bed. The monitors chimed notice of his accelerating heart rate. Attempt not to tear anything as you descended to hysteronics, Spock told him flatly. Apparently this was going to be a fight no matter what Spock did, and so we may as well set ground rules. Hysteronics? Jim repeated, gaping at him. You fucking overbearing! Where is your stepfather? Spock asked, like he was unaware that Frank Halley was in Riverside without any intention of coming to pick up his stepson, until someone compelled him to do so by force. None of your fucking... Jim started, which really is the time-honored opener of all of Jim's greatest business. Yes, none of my fucking business, Spock agreed. And when you are shipped back to Iowa, how long are you staying there? Jim went quiet, jaw set, though his eyes did not dart to the bag. The truly terrifying part of it was that if Spock could not recognize every one of Jim's tells, and if he had not spent the last two days inside Jim's head, trying to keep him calm and sane, he would not have known. He would have gone to Vulcan and received a message down the line that he no longer needed to keep Miss Schmidt on retainer. As Mr. Kirk had, as far as anyone could tell, left the planet. Jim would have been gone, and Spock would not know, and that was unacceptable. You have a bag already, and if you think after seven years of knowing you I cannot recognize when you are about to run, you ought to be kept for closer observation, Spock told him. Christopher Pike is a good man who cares for you, and cared for your parents. You are going to stay with him, and if you need to be furious with me over this, then fine. I will accept that fact that you require a scapegoat for some unfathomable reason, and are refusing to place the blame upon the person who deserves it. Sam's on Ladinium, Jim said, and Spock stilled. He had not known that Sam Kirk was even still alive. It had been two years and change. That is not relevant, Spock said, and Jim shrugged. He did okay. Okay is unacceptable, Spock said, and Jim looked at him. You bullied Pike into this. I may have implied that your chances of survival diminish drastically if you are not provided with a stable home environment, Spock admitted, and Jim laughed, easy, because Jim's moods were mercurial at best. It was not a lie, Spock thundered. Spock, I survived from the execution squad. Jim laughed, rough around the edges. I can survive fucking anything. It was all he would say on it, though, and Spock could not form anything coherent from the things he gleaned from their contact. Spock knew from what he had overheard these past two days that Jim had fared better than many, that trauma experts were being brought in, but to a one they had passed over Jim. Spock was unconvinced that it had anything to do with Jim's mental well-being, and instead that it had everything to do with Jim's acting skills. Chris Pike had a two-story house in officer housing. It looked like every other house in the street, except for the two ornaments that hung from the porch framing the doorway. Inside was a different story. Spock supposed this was the home of a man who was not often able to enjoy the comforts life could provide, and so he took advantage where he could. There was art that would make any of the galleries in town sob with want hanging from the walls, lush-looking leather recliners and couches, and a kitchen with all of the latest upgrades. 
Spock peered around curiously. Jim was strangely recalcitrant. Number one was sitting in the living room on one of the couches, drinking beer, watching something on a hollow screen. Those fucking dick sucks, she swore, getting up and fishing her phone out of her jeans. She nodded to them both before heading towards the office. Does she live here? Spock asked. Pike shook his head, comfortable in jeans and an old Starfleet Academy shirt, barefoot and casual in his home. No, God, Pike said. It's the first few weeks back. You get used to living out of someone else's pocket, and suddenly they're not up your ass 24-7. Spock was not certain he liked the off-duty version of Pike, but Jim was grinning at the floor, so Spock took care to control his expression. Pike showed them Jim's room, which was on the second floor. Pike, it seemed, slept on the first floor. There was a lock, the key to which rested on the desk, and at some point Jim pocketed it while Spock was rummaging around in boxes. I didn't know what you like, Pike said, leaning in on the doorway. I figured blue was safe, but number one is on this neutral kick, so you wound up with gray. If you hate it, we can exchange them. The room was enormous, a bathroom connected. The walls were white and the bookshelves sleek black metal. The desk matched the bookshelves, and the bed, which was enormous, was in fact outfitted in gray. There were boxes in the corner, old ones that Spock recognized. He had unpacked them a couple of years ago. Jim was looking overstimulated, and he sat down hard on the bed, his entire body curving in on itself. Dinner's at 5.30. Number one's staying, and Spock, you're welcome to join us. After that, your evening is yours, Pike said, and excused himself quietly. This is going to be such a shit show, Jim groaned, putting his face in his hands. Riverside would be better than this. Let us not lie. Spock said mildly, sitting down beside him. This door appears to lock from the inside. Jim laughed, tired and a little wrecked, leaning into Spock's side, and Spock cannot bring himself to move away, because he is functioning on very little sleep, and there is a very small part of him that is panicked that this is a very detailed hallucination, and that Jim is going to be taken from him again. I like lying, Jim told him earnestly. It's a great comfort to me. Then again, even Spock's brain would not be able to manufacture a reasonable facsimile of Jim Kirk. Cybok picked Spock up on his way back to the embassy, and his hands were shaking, his eyes bruised-looking and red-rimmed. This was not our smartest plan, Cybok told him. Also, I didn't get to meet your hooligan. Please shut up, Spock implored, slouching against him in the back of the cab. He felt suddenly exhausted as though abruptly he was aware of how long he had gone without any kind of genuine, uninterrupted sleep, and both his brain and body were staging a coordinated revolt. Somehow, they made it out of the cab and staggered into the foyer together. Cybok was barely maintaining vertical integrity beside him, yawning enormously over and over again, and between them, they did a passable job navigating stairs and feeling their way to their bedrooms. Leave me here to die, Cybok croaked, looking into the room at the bed two meters away, clinging to his door frame. I can't go on. Be silent, Spock instructed, shoving at him. Cybok shuffled in. Spock, who believed in listening to a person's wishes, did not look back to help him. If Cybok wished to collapse and perish, Spock could not be held responsible for that. Cybok was a grown adult, and Spock had his hands full with Jim. His own door opened faster than anticipated, and he stumbled, only just avoiding his suitcase. When had that arrived? And navigated towards the bed. The window was open, 
likely done by a helpful staffer who had meant to air the room out and then forgot to shut it, and the night was colder than he was used to enduring. He could not bring himself to shut the window, logic be damned. He didn't even notice his mother on his bed until he attempted to collapse upon it and hit her knee with his nose. Spock, she said, surprised, and he looked up at her, bemused. She could have shut the window. Mother, he said, kicking off his shoes and tugging at the blankets, settling against the pillow and exhaling heavily. I am very tired, he told her. She sighed, shifting up and helping him into bed. Settling beside him and bending over to press a kiss to Spock's temple, one of her hands gently squeezing his shoulder. Oh, Spock, she sighed, clearly in the mood to talk about this. Spock spared a fleeting, longing thought to all the seconds of sleep he was not getting, before resettling on the bed to look up at her. I should have told you, he said, and she hummed agreement. Yes, she said. Luckily, your father believes in communication, so when the school called to tell me that my youngest son had been abducted by my oldest son, I knew what was going on. Spock had not considered that, but thinking on it seemed like something the school would do. Accuse Cybok of fraternal abduction. I had to, he said, and opened his eyes, because allowing them to stay closed would have been cowardice. How was he doing? she asked, which was not at all the question he expected of her. Captain Pike is taking him in, Spock said, carefully editing. He hated that he felt the need to center himself around her, and resented that she seemed to want to talk now. She nodded thoughtfully. Chris Pike is a good man, she said. I did some work with him when we were younger. He nodded against the pillow. That is fascinating, he mumbled. She sighed and stroked her fingers through his hair lightly. We'll talk when you wake up, hmm? she said and he nodded, incapable of response. Just as he was about to sink entirely into sleep, his pad dinged, and he reached a heavy hand towards it, hating the entire galaxy. <coughs> Go the fuck to sleep. He was going to kill Jim.